Welcome to the RCSLT podcast. Today's podcast is the start of a new series that we're doing in conjunction with the International Journal of Language and Communication Disorders. Your regular host will be Amit Kulkarni, the Head of Research and Outcomes at RCSLT, but I'm stepping in for the first episode. The idea is that every month or so we will choose an article from the IJLCD that we think may be of interest to the wider SLT community and perhaps other allied health professionals or some members of the public who may have an interest in SLT and communication disorders. And we chat to the authors about why they undertook this research and what their findings were. In today's episode, we're talking about an article titled, I'm Smiling Back at You, Exploring the Impact of Mask Wearing on Communications in Healthcare. I started by asking the authors to introduce themselves. Sure. So um, my name's Holly Marler. I'm a specialist speech and language therapist and I work for um, Norwich Community, sorry, Norfolk Community Health and Care. Um, and I work as part of the outpatient spe- specialist neuro rehabilitation team um, based at the Coleman Hospital. So um, we have both an outpatient and inpatient service. The outpatient service looks at um, uh, complex um, neuro rehabilitation. So um, we're, we do a lot of kind of vocational rehab for patients who have had brain injuries. Um, and the inpatient unit is um, one of, I think only about eight or so um, level one rehabilitation, inpatient rehabilitation units um, for uh, neuro rehab um, in, in the country. So yeah, that's me. Great, thanks Holly. And uh, you, Annabelle? Yeah, hi, I'm Annabelle. Um, I'm an assistant psychologist, so I'm not an SLT. Um, and I work as well at the outpatient and mostly now on the inpatient unit um, for the Norfolk County Healthcare Trust. I can't remember the acronym properly. <laughs> Norfolk Community Health and Care. Perfect we should probably community, get that right, shouldn't we? <laughs> um, yeah, so working as well in neuro rehabilitation for people who've had complex brain injuries. Now, you've written a paper called, I'm Smiling Back at You, Exploring the Impact of Mask Wearing on Communication in Healthcare. I think we can get a sense of what it is that you guys were looking at. But I wonder if um, maybe Holly, starting with you, if you could tell us, what was it that you guys were trying to find out? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's it's kind of what it, what is on the tin, really. Um, so um, yes, it's all in the name. I'm smiling back at you. It was a piece of work that um, I suppose we've rather selfishly carried out, really. Um, experiencing, um, you know, this really new, unexpected clinical environment associated with the COVID-19 pandemic um, and having to change um, the way that we practised having to adapt our roles um, to be able to meet the needs of um, patients and staff um, in these kind of challenging times for communication with the added um, difficulty associated with needing to wear masks, um, Mm -hmm. so the additional PPE. Um, And um, we kind of, we were finding ourselves that communicating essentially was difficult. It was difficult to communicate with our colleagues. It was difficult to communicate with our patients. Um, And we wanted to see whether um, there was any kind of research or literature that we could draw upon, which might have 
practical applications um, to support us to improve our practice and to keep kind of providing the, the gold standard care that we were striving towards um, with this barrier of the mask wearing. Um, so we wanted to find out, so what research existed, um, whether there was any research um, related to mask wearing in different fields. So whether that was medical, dental, allied healthcare professional, nursing and non-clinical staff. And we wanted to know whether existing research had any practical applications. We wanted to really problem solve and, and work out ways in which we could meet our patients' needs and advocate for our patients. Came in and it was like overnight we're told, you know, you have to wear these masks and mm. just looking, looking around the ward, you know, the patients were really struggling with it. We were really struggling with it. And we were just curious to find, you know, surely there is some sort of literature out there that people have been wearing masks before this time mm -hmm. what what have they been doing that can we can copy to, to help our patients who were really at the time hating this mask wearing that was happening I, I guess my next question is going to be is can you give us a sense of of what the literature what literature was out there and what did it say there wasn't you know a huge amount which which is why this mm. what we've written I think is so important right now because a lot of the literature was either written during Covid already um, or it focused on sort of surgery um, and sort of theatre um, mm. and so generalising that to you know now every single hospital care home and healthcare setting in the UK is is using this you know we're all different disciplines are all trying to use it a little bit differently to, to reach goals, you know, um, yeah. Just a practical question. When you said that the mask inhibits communication, is that because it's muffled? Is it facial expressions? Can you, can you um, um, just give us, Holly, a bit, of, a bit of a rundown by what, what, how people are impaired because of the masks? So um, kind of as, as we suspected, um, mask wearing challenges communication in so many different ways. And so we kind of split that into practical and logistic issues, um, kind of purely communicative issues and the psychological kind of emotional side of things. Mm. So like you said, practically, um, they're just a bit of a pain, um, <laughs> if we're <laughs> honest. So, um, you know, they're uncomfortable for staff to wear. Um, you know, there's research that says that um, some people find them um you know really quite distressing to wear with hyperventilation skin breakdown um you know it's a challenge in itself to put something across your face and wear it for a long period of time mm. um and as you said the the muffling side of things I think is something that all of us kind of immediately noticed Definitely. we immediately noticed yeah communication breakdowns lots of pardon you what um right. you know it was it was really challenging and actually research says that um wearing a mask so whether that's surgical or a respirator mask um wearing for example an ffp3 mask attenuates high frequencies by up to 12 decibels um, which is a, a huge amount. So that's really akin um, to quite a severe hearing impairment. Right. So essentially, we're, we're not hearing what we typically would be. Mm -hmm. So as you can imagine, that's tricky, you, you know, communicating with staff and communicating with patients. Um, a lot of the time we're having to, to raise our voices to compensate for that. So that 
does have an impact on kind of patient confidentiality. Mm-hmm. You know, we're raising our voices in potentially, you know, quite a crowded bay. Um, it, it's really tough to find, you know, an appropriate space to have those more sensitive conversations. And then because we're needing to raise our voice or, um, you know, or trying not to raise our voice, perhaps we're moving more close together. And that's meaning that, again, um, we're breaching infection control protocols by being standing too close. Um, And one thing that I've become quite passionate about, actually, from a speech and language therapy perspective, is the way that we use our voices. Mm -hmm. So um, when you're wearing a mask, um, something that we typically do is raise our voice. Um, And, uh, you know, because of that, we're using these kind of hyperfunctional vocal techniques a lot of the time, you know, potentially 12 hour shifts. um, And it it can really have a big impact on our our vocal hygiene and our voice health. Um, We talked about the logistics of administering interventions. So, Mm -hmm. again, particularly from a speech and language therapy perspective, a lot of the time we um, really rely on patients being able to see our mouths. Um, mm. see our facial expressions um, we we model the movements that we want our patients to make um, so for example in in um, treating speech disorders or um, assessing uh, or emotive function and in you know in other disciplines as well I think um, you know the logistics of, of patients not being able to see our faces is really tricky I can imagine Annabelle from a psychological yeah. perspective with developing rapport and yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's been hard. Yeah, yeah, that's just I was just about to ask you, Annabelle. So so from, from your perspective, mm. can can you talk to me about the impact of mask wearing and and and, and your practice? Yeah. So rapport building is such a huge part of psychology because, you know, I don't think any of us would want to share our biggest worries and concerns with someone who's a complete stranger. Mm. And, and so that barrier, the facial expressions, people get, get confused and often can't remember who's who. You can't work out which discipline is which. And unfortunately for us on the ward, uh, although lots of people have different uniforms as psychology, we don't have a uniform. And so we're wearing scrubs. Um, so we just sort of blend in with mm. the, the nursing team and the doctors. And it's really hard for people to differentiate to, OK, this is this is this person. This is this discipline. Um mm. And that makes it really difficult. And then on, on top of that, you've got, you know, with a mask, you can't see facial expressions. So a lot of when we're talking to people, you know, you want to show that you're feeling empathetic um, and you can't do that with a mask on. So you try and verbalise it. And again, it doesn't sound quite as sincere when you're saying, oh, I really empathise with you. But <laughs> right. there's, no, there's no other alternative because now, especially we've got visors on top of that, it, it makes them. Um, that facial expression and connection much more difficult, I think, for psychology. So how was it that you guys came together to to be working on this paper from two different kind of Mm. disciplines? I think it started out, I researched a little bit and was quite curious about it. And I sent it round to a a few colleagues to see what they thought. And Holly really, well, I went, Holly answered that. (laughs) Holly, (laughs) I stuck my oar in essentially. <laughs> it's something that um, I felt quite passionate about, and I thought, you know, we're experiencing all of these difficulties. Let's do something to actually, you know, problem solve and put forward some kind of guidelines or recommendations. I felt that actually it was within a speech and language therapy role to uh, support 
communication um mm. and i thought you know what what's a better way than to do this than to you know it was amazing that annabelle had already done so much fantastic research and i thought wonderful well let's collate this um and let's almost put a speech and language therapy spin on it holly spoke to me about a patient who was really traumatized by the new environment and i think this really galvanized them to find solutions to help patients We had one patient in particular um, who, you know, will stick with me for probably the rest of my life. And he was so confused and disorientated. And because of the FFP3 masks that we were wearing, he consistently, he thought that he was in a gas chamber. Oh, and God. He, he would consistently call staff over and ask them to help him to escape. Um, oh. And I just thought, goodness me, this is devastating. You know, we've got these patients who are absolutely distraught and can't understand this change. Yeah. How can we support them and how can we make their stay? You know, being in hospital at, at the best of times is something that's really, really, you know, challenging. How can we make their stay at this time, you know, in these unprecedented times? How can we make it better? Um, so we so we looked at the literature um, and we essentially um, picked out um, the things that we we could see kind of um, ways around. Um, mm -hmm. We we looked for for ways to compensate for the difficulties that were addressed in the literature, and we we published a kind of um, a summary of recommendations for practice. Um, or kind of simple guidelines, really. Um, yeah. So many of them are common sense, but sometimes it's quite nice to have, um, you know, some punchy bullet points that you can refer to. Mm. Um, and again, sometimes we don't know what we don't know. Um, so we, we thought it would be really nice to kind of um, to provide this summary. So Annabella, I wonder if you can kick us off and tell us the first, what well, one of the first recommendations that you mm -hmm. that you guys made? Yeah, so I, I'll let Holly speak more about the um, SLT kind of ones, but in terms of psychology, I mentioned earlier, communicating sort of non-verbal information um, verbally. So mm -hmm. that's, you know, where the inspiration for the title came from. People can't see you smiling under a mask, so tell them. So I often go around and people say, oh, I am, I am smiling at you under my mask, you just can't see it, because when you can just see somebody's eyes, you know that can make it really difficult for people to to work out you know actually how is this person reacting to what I'm saying mm -hmm. so I think one of the big ones is communicate all that non-verbal information as verbally as you can and then vice versa communicate other information non-verbally so thumbs up thumbs down whilst you're saying yes and no all those kinds of different hand gestures pointing can be really really beneficial to to support that communication I think using technology and being creative and finding finding ways to communicate, you know, there's so many different ways you can drawing, pointing, using iPads, all that sort of technology um, is really, really beneficial to support that communication. Is the iPad maybe like typing up a message or something so that yeah, someone can read absolutely. it or? Yeah, right. or you can go away and record something on the iPad and people, you know, put it to your ear rather than shouting at somebody. Annabelle, you did some lovely work around um, kind of relaxation stories, didn't you? Mm -hmm. And I don't yeah. know if you recorded any of those on the yeah. iPad and kind of left them with patients so that they could access that yeah. at any time. 
Um, yeah, as you can imagine, um, doing relaxation with people whilst wearing full PPE can be very challenging. Mm-hmm. It's not very relaxing. Well, it's not very <laughs> relaxing. Um, so, yeah, we've been recording lots of relaxation scripts um, outside of the ward so that people can play it in their own time and it doesn't sound like me just shouting through a mask at them. So to, to you, Holly, then, I guess that before we get into the recommendations, could you just tell us where we are with this supposedly promising development, which we've heard about for a while, which are clear masks? Oh, clear masks. Um, it's It was so exciting um, when I first heard a mention of, of clear masks and I thought, wonderful, all our problems are solved. Um Unfortunately, um, I think there's a a lot of work being done um, in terms of um, the the technicalities and Mm. and the actual making of these masks. But as far as I'm aware, none of the clear masks are meeting infection prevention and control standards. So um, I think it's because it's kind of melding two different materials. You've got the the kind of plasticky clear part as well, and that needs to be attached to another part of the mask. I think it's not providing enough, um, enough protection, essentially. Um, Although one thing that I have spoken to colleagues at other trusts about, actually, is um, the use of hoods or or Mm. hood respirators, um, which sound wonderful. Um, So, again, you kind of you have this big hood, um, which has a clear component, which shows your full face, Mm. um, which, again, sounds good. But actually, I've had the feedback that. It can feel a little bit embarrassing for speech and language therapists to wear. You know, it looks like this really high tech piece of kit um, that you would be using, you know, for brain surgery or, you know, for something very medical Mm. and actually kind of walking down the corridor in the ward. (laughs) You can get some kind of funny looks from colleagues. Um, It's quite intimidating, too. It looks like something out of the end of E.T., you know, those (laughs) records. Um, so I think, um, yeah, again, they're, they're a, a good um, example of a way to compensate for those difficulties. But unfortunately, we don't have a perfect um, a, a, a perfect product at this point in time. I've, re- I've read quite a few stories about it being an absolute nightmare of a time for deaf people, which I can imagine is yeah. very difficult. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we it's we haven't experienced anything like that on our unit, you know, um, so it's not something I could comment on as a personal experience. But I, I, I'm really unsure how a person with, you know, a hearing impairment plus potentially a communication or cognitive impairment would be able to access um, conversations without lip reading. Um, mm. And I'm sure that's a, a real, real struggle um, for that client group. So again, I suppose using um, the technology that we have, using written words, using the iPads, things like that probably are are going some way to supporting those patients. But again, we don't have a, a good answer at the moment. What are your uh, recommendations then? I'll pick out some of the key ones. Um, Introductions. I think it's something that we can become quite complacent about, but it's really important that when we go into a room with a patient, we introduce ourselves, you know, hi, my name's Holly. We, We talk about our role. 
I'm a speech and language therapist and we tell them why we're present. So I'm here to assess your swallowing or I'm here to support you to have a drink or I'm here to have a conversation with you. Um, you know, you can only imagine how distressing it would be for somebody in a great deal of PPE to walk into your room, start doing something to you or start kind of start giving some type of intervention and not knowing who on earth they are. Mm -hmm. So that's really important. Um, and establishing personal connections there. So I know I know a lot of trusts are um, giving staff lanyards which have a picture of them on, um, mm -hmm. which is, you know, a fantastic idea. The patient can see what you really look like um, right. under all of your PPE. Um, and that help, you know, that's going to help with recognition. That's going to help with kind of relational continuity. Um, and it's going to reassure the patient that, you know, there is this person that they can identify with and that they have met before and mm -hmm. Um, you know we're all human beings essentially under under the kind of amount of plastic that we're wearing um I think encourage questions um so allow plenty of times for questions about um the reasons for mask wearing I think especially when um it first came in when it was first mandatorized um it was very strange for patients and it was almost the elephant in the room yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, acknowledge that you're wearing a mask and uh, acknowledge the issues surrounding that, you know, um, say, I'm sorry that we can't hear each other very well. Um, I'm sorry that it's a challenge for us to communicate, but I'm wearing this mask to protect your to protect you and to protect myself and to make sure that we're not spreading this this disease so um i think yeah acknowledge the issues um encourage questions and allow time for those to answer those questions especially for those kind of quite anxious patients um where just a moment of your time really can can mean the world to them I mean, that's, it's really interesting. Annabelle, I just want to ask you, based on the stuff that Holly's just said. So yes, we're making, people are making changes to the way they practice um, be, because of the mask wearing and the PPE. But some of those sound to me like things that might be a good idea to carry on doing going forward. For instance, the notion of introducing yourself and talking to the patient before going up to them and performing some sort of mm. procedure on them. I guess in busy NHS hospitals, that that stuff does happen sometimes, um, but maybe we should think about the way in which we interact with people after the uh, pandemic. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think you know something as basic as an introduction sounds like some. It should be the gold standard. Everyone should should really mm. be doing it anyway. But I think, like you said, busy NHS hospitals and people are rushing around, and actually we can forget. We often have a million things on our mind. But I think yeah, you're absolutely right. Just taking that time to introduce yourself. Should it? I think it's respectful and um, mm. it's definitely something that should be promoted after COVID and, and not just because the pandemic started. This is something of a side note and we had a bit of a discussion about it. But even in regular times, patient communication is an issue and it's something that the NHS does get uh, quite a few complaints about. Clinicians do not take enough time to tell patients what is going on. Um, and this is something that perhaps is one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that going forward, we can remember how important patient communication is. We return to discussing some of the ways that we could mitigate the impact of mask wearing. 
I suppose from a, a more um, speech and language therapy perspective, we need to um, kind of in, investigate and explore other ways to communicate with people. So as we said earlier, using written support, um, that will uh, be appropriate depending on, on the patient that you're engaging with. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, um, you know, flashcards, keywords that are written down, um, using technology as well to support that so using pictures um you know even googling things quickly on an ipad to Mm. we use that quite a lot for um for having social chats you know oh where do you live the person you know the patient perhaps can't tell you but you can quickly google a map of norfolk and they can point to it you know Uh, Um, so um and that kind of leads me on to the next thing be creative um so as clinicians we always strive for evidence-based practice and you know that's that's what we like to adhere to but at the moment um we're we're making the evidence we're creating the evidence um Mm -hmm. you know there isn't anything standardized out there at the moment there's no kind of um book that you know informs you on how to continue to do your job during a pandemic so I think we just need to be really flexible and sometimes do things that feel you know a bit weird or a bit strange you know that I'm smiling back at you telling people you know the the way that you're interacting with them but it's the best way to move forwards at the moment um again in our recommendations it does uh, say consult the speech and language therapist so um, (laughs) that's an absolute favorite for me um because you know we are communication experts um you know we have this wealth of information and it would be mad not to share it you know with our colleagues and and um in in order to support them to have the best possible interactions with patients so we need to kind of um, engage in that that wider upskilling of of the whole team really um and another just quick speech and language therapy plug uh, (laughs) practice good vocal hygiene so um it's really important that while we're wearing these masks um that we are looking after our voices to prevent really serious damage to our vocal cords um so that's things like drinking plenty of water avoiding caffeine so holly you were saying that other people are are doing um you know more research into this are you able to sort of tell us a little bit about where where it's going what people are looking at what they're finding what what's changed since you've written the article gosh i'm trying to think um so um I think a lot of research is going into um, developing a a product which will um, essentially kind of um, negate the need for a a mask which covers your face. So I think essentially most research is looking into um, ways in which to to, um, develop masks with a see-through panel, those types of things. I think actually in terms of literature that's being published, um, there there haven't been kind of huge steps in terms of um, kind of novel interventions or really new ways to do things. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it's something that people are thinking about and it's it's on the minds of, um, you know, clinicians and, and non-clinical staff alike. So I, I suspect that we'll see lots of kind of upcoming research. 
And I know that um, myself and Annabelle are quite keen to actually do some more research in this field. So, um, you know, we've we've looked at the literature that's around at the moment. We've found number one, there isn't much. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, um, you know, there there is an amount of research which discusses the complications of wearing masks and the issues. Um, and what we'd quite like to do is um, perhaps conduct some interviews, so patient interviews, staff interviews, and kind of gather people's real frontline experiences um, of mask wearing and, and kind of make that into potentially a new avenue of research to see whether what we found in our kind of theoretical observations matches with what people are experiencing on the ground. Right. Is it? Is, are there plans? Would you consider looking at, for example, um, you know, the efficacy of of various therapies with and without masks? I mean, might that type mm. of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think essentially we kind of know the answer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it it yeah it it would be um, that would be kind of really illustrative of if the challenges that the that healthcare workers are facing in that, you know, we're unable to give that um, effective intervention that we were before. Um, And, you know, that that potentially um, some of the research that we looked at um, in our paper does indicate that actually that's meaning that patients have um, less positive outcomes. Um, that potentially their recoveries aren't as, you know, that the recoveries are more poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of from a health and well-being perspective, um, perhaps that they're engaging less with interventions. Um, so, yeah, I think it would be really interesting to to follow that up a little bit. I mean, and Annabelle, I mean, from from. I guess what's interesting for me from a sort of when it comes to psychology and psychiatry and stuff is there's a big chunk of the population that just sort of switched over to virtual appointments, presumably. Mm. And so yeah. there's the question of whether virtual appointments are as are as effective as as in-person ones. Um, so that, I guess that's an area of research. And then there's yeah. one where you you're not able to have virtual appointments. You're on the wards. So yeah, what 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 are your thoughts about the sort of the efficacy of your interventions? Yeah, so I know there's there's a lot of research already about um neuro testing, so neuropsychological testing, mm-hmm. um because that's now having to be done remotely in lots of cases. Um, mm-hmm. And I know, oh gosh, I hope I hope I get this right, but I'm sure the BPS have said you know you can do some neuropsychological testing remotely. But mm-hmm. the validity of that testing is mm-hmm. is not likely to be the same as you can do it in person. And the same with, you know, remote therapy. I am still doing my outpatient work on a very low scale, but it's really difficult um, working with patients who have either got trauma because often it's comforting to have somebody in the room so that you can help help them through that experience. But on, mm. on the end of a computer, it doesn't quite feel as safe um Mm. and you know you you, the confidentiality you don't know who else is about in that room you don't know into them it's it can be really really tricky so you so you're saying the patient could think oh um annabelle's friend or partner it might just be just out of view Mm -hmm. and listening to my mm, i hadn't thought and vice versa you know Mm. um if there's safeguarding issues you don't know if that patient is alone and able to talk freely because you're behind a, a computer screen 
it might be that you know they can't share lots of confidential things especially people homeschooling mm. now they might have children in the house and you know actually that's not safe for them to open up about really difficult experiences because they're also having to be a parent at the same time there's socioeconomic stuff if you're wealthy enough to have yeah, a big enough house yeah. that you can have a private mm. room then yeah. you're going to have a better outcome than if you're living in a yeah. and if, if you've place. got a screen if you can access that mm. technology age as well you know lots of older people aren't able to access that technology quite as easily mm. so might require somebody to set it up for them and then you go back into that loop of okay well there's someone else there is it confidential and Both Holly and Annabelle took pains to point out that though they were researching the challenges posed by PPE, in no way should clinicians be discouraged from using it, of course. If patients fully understand the need for PPE, they can find it reassuring. And going forward, given the efficacy of mask wearing when it comes to infection control, there are certain interventions in which mask wearing may become routine, even if it wasn't before. Remember, if you found today's podcast interesting and you want more tips on mitigating some of the challenges of PPE, please do read the article in the IJLCD. There's a link in the show notes. In the next episode of the series, Amit will be talking to the authors of a paper which looked at the efficacy of parent-led interventions for children with cleft palate. It's a very interesting piece of research and a very interesting interview also. Until next time, keep safe.